0: What is up, everybody? Welcome back to First Sound Rundown, where we give you a holistic view of the world of sports. Whether you're a casual fan or an avid fan, this is the place for you. We're your two hosts. I'm Hayden Vozar. He's Matt Vozar. Today is Tuesday, February 7th. We are about five days out from the Super Bowl, and you best believe that today we're going to be talking Super Bowl, and we're going to be talking college basketball as well, but the Super Bowl will probably take up most of our episode probably about 45 minutes and then the last 15 minutes or so will probably be college basketball talk. And it's a pretty cool topic that we're gonna be that we're gonna be discussing. It's gonna be a kind of like a, a league wide topic. So you're gonna hear a lot of a lot of different teams mentioned, a lot of different s- scenarios for March mentioned, everything like that. And then of course Super Bowl talk is going to be everything and anything that is Super Bowl, anything that has to do with it, all the you know, all the bits and pieces that you need to know. Our predictions, what we think is going to happen, and then what will probably happen, everything like that. So it's it's going to be a very jam-packed episode today, but it's going to be a really fun one. I always love these episodes. I love previewing big games, you know, like the national championship. I remember when we previewed the national championship, I think that that was one of our best episodes in, in season two in terms of like downloads and listens and everything like that. So hopefully this one will be just the same and you guys will enjoy it. And just sit back, relax, and enjoy the show, Matt. I've got you on the other end here. How are you doing?
1: Well, it is it is the last football game of the uh, this whole season, so I think if anything, we should do it justice by talking a lot about it. Um, both obviously in the preview, and then we'll do a, a whole a recap next week about everything that happened and, and and everything like that. But I agree, Hayden. You know, kind of pointed out correctly that you know that that's what that's what we're here for. So we want to we want to provide all the. All the previews, all the predictions, all the context uh that, that's kind of going into these games, hit it from all angles, both the teams. will kind of maybe do some sort of you know deep dive or or at least kind of hit on both teams specifically, kind of what's been the news surrounding them coming into the game, how we think they're gonna fare, uh everything like that. So um, and then obviously right, college basketball, man. I last year, and, and I know we both said this, Hayden, you know, last year, it seemed like we were kind of we kind of got into the college basketball game a little bit late yeah. and obviously right we had march madness and that was fun and it always is fun but this year i think that both of us are 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 kind of doing our due diligence in terms of um you know kind of coming through on the fact that we said that we wanted to get more into college basketball earlier on in the season uh and obviously right i mean we're there's only i think most of these teams only have like 8 7 or 8 games left uh maybe even less in the regular season so realistically a month from now we're going to be talking about conference championships. We're going to be talking about uh selection Sunday. So I think that, you know, kind of getting a good gauge on where we're at right now, a month out of the uh, when, when March madness is going to be kind of all in the headlines that that's that's, I think, a good a good kind of resting point or wherever we're at right now to see kind of you know who's who's who and 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 where we're going to be. But I'm I'm definitely happy at least with my my level of involvement with following and watching the college basketball games. Uh, pretty much right as soon as college football ended, I've been you know that's that's what my Saturdays have been doing. So um so so yeah, so excited for that at the end. Obviously, the Super Bowl takes priority in a in a week like this, though.
0: Yeah, I would have have liked to have watched more college basketball up until this point. But I've been I've been watching a good bit. I've been watching a good bit of UVA, too. I kind of follow UVA more than any other team right now, at least because I do go to UVA and we are pretty good. Uh, that's probably one of the teams I'm going to talk about today and and the fact that I'm not going to be too outrageous when I talk about them. But that being said, uh, let's move into what everybody wants to hear, which is the Super Bowl preview. So let's get right into the NFL. So right, we've got Super Bowl coming up, five days. Uh, it's you know, we've got we've got a lot of news coming in. We've got Patrick Mahomes said he's feeling better yesterday, which is a good sign. I mean, he's had two weeks to rest, which should be not a maybe enough time for a high ankle sprain because a high ankle sprain is pretty bad. I mean, it does give a lot of players a lot of trouble, but he's got one more game left, and then he's got a whole offseason to to rest and get his ankle better. So I think what his mindset coming into this game is basically. I don't care. Like, I have to think that my ankle is better. I don't care if it's not better. It is better in my mind because I have one more game to play and this will be my second Super Bowl. This will solidify me as probably one of the greats in in, in all of football already, Um, you know, in football history already. So he's still so young. So I think that's probably what he's thinking. And then on the other side, we've got the Eagles who everybody's been talking about their defense. Their offensive line is great eagles seem to have no flaws right and i think that that's probably what i want to talk about first here i'm going to ask matt what he thinks about the eagles because everything that i've seen across all the media now i've seen a pretty balanced review I, i i was watching i was just watching uh i think it's called speak it's one of those talk shows on espn or something like that i was just watching and they were talking about the super bowl and it was some good information to you know kind of get in my head coming into this podcast episode but i was watching and i was talking to them i was kind of listening to them talk about, okay, well, it's it's basically just Patrick Mahomes up against the Eagles defense, right? And everybody only talks about the Eagles defense when they talk about the the Eagles. Sometimes their offensive line, sometimes their running game, but it's, it's mostly their defense that you hear about. And you always hear the saying defense wins championships. Now I have some opinions on that too, but I'm going to ask Matt here. What do you think about the Eagles coming into this game? Do you think it is really just going to be their defense that shows up? Or do you think Patrick Mahomes is going to be able to take down that defense? Do you think it's going to be more of the other way around? Do you think it's going to be more of can the Eagles score on the Chiefs defense, which is a little bit weak? What do you think?
1: Well, I, I think and you were kind of leading into it. My opinion on the game is it's going to be very high scoring. Um, and so because of that to kind of answer your question directly, I think that both defenses are going to get challenged a little bit. Um, And I think that, right. Like Hayden said, you know, the Eagles defense has probably been the most talked about unit, uh, you know, kind of on either side of the ball coming into this game. And, and rightfully so, like we said, you know, they were good all year. They were good the entire playoff run. Right. So it's well, it's well-deserved the, you know, the, the the high praise that they're getting, but again, Patrick Mahomes is an animal. He's a different, breed. He is everything that you would want to every different adjective that you could use to describe someone who is just better than everyone else at at the position that he plays. And so as a result of that, I think that the Eagles defense and how vaunted they've been, it's going to get a little bit neutralized by the, you know, just the ability of Patrick Mahomes, not only because Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes and we know that he's that great but also because the weapons that he lost during the game against Cincinnati in the AFC Championship he's going to get back right they said I think yesterday I saw that Annie Reed came out and said that Kadarius Tony is 100% he's good to go um Nicole Hardman, I think I don't think he's going to play he's just I think I think he re-injured his groin but I mean he was he hasn't been playing since I think week 8 or so um and he had a couple touches in in the game against the Bengals but but nothing nothing serious right um Travis is going to be 100% Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who kind of came out of the woodworks in that AFC championship game and, and, you know, has really been not doing too much all year. um, He's going to be back. Juju Smith-Schuster is going to be back, and he's, you know, going to be 100% healthy. So I think that we we got lost a little bit last week or or two weeks ago when we were talking about the Bengals game and, and how much, you know, Patrick Mahomes was, you know, they were, the Chiefs were so lucky to win that game. And, and I reiterated this on the podcast, too. I even said, A, he obviously had the hurt ankle, which he's going to be. You know, I mean, he may not be hundred percent, but he's definitely going to be better than what he was in the Bengals game, or at least more healthy, right? The ankle's going to feel a little bit better, but he also had no running game or, you know, no running game in that game. Um, a, a funny stuff that I forgot to mention, Joe Burrow had the most rushing yards in that game, the the Bengals and the Chiefs game in the AFC championship. Uh, so that just goes to show neither team really had a running game, right? Uh, the offensive line, you know, wasn't, I, I don't think, you know, was not really getting off the ball as well against the Bengals uh, as they needed to, especially when Matt Mahomes was on that weak ankle. And then, as I said, all the receivers go down too. So he's going to have that offense is going to be at 100% or at least close to it. But the thing is, to me, and this is what I said even before the Bengals game, right, is the fact that Pat Mahomes at 75%, give me him over pretty much any other quarterback in the league. Now, obviously, right, a lot depends on the situation. And Jalen Hurts is great, right? When the running game is working and, and they have a lead, the Eagles are probably not going to lose. But in a case like this, where you have Mahomes and just all of his physical abilities, especially to the fact that he knows it's the Super Bowl, man, like he knows that last week when he wasn't 100, he was probably 60% with the ankle last week. He knew that he had to win that game to get to the Super Bowl. And guess what he did? He, He won the game, right? So in a similar situation, I think that the Chiefs are going to score a lot more points than people are thinking. Likewise, I do think the Eagles are going to be able to score a lot as well. And and mostly because the Chiefs defense, while yes, the, it's really good, right, especially on um, in the uh, in, in kind of the, you know, the, the line is closer to the line of scrimmage. So obviously you have Frank Clark, you have Chris Jones, you have George Karloftis, who, who's also a rookie, but has been, you know, really He's. I think he has what, I I guess, I think it was like eight or nine sacks this year. I think he also has like an interception or two. Um, So he's been coming on really well as of late as well. So the defensive line is really good. The linebackers, uh, you know, pretty good. Uh, And then I think the, you know, the defensive backfield is really where the chiefs are struggling and it's struggling, not in terms of, they're going to get the ball thrown on them all the time, but more so just the fact that they are so young in that secondary and they've either, you know, gone down, people have gone down who, who were, you know, pretty much full-fledged starters on that uh, on that defensive backfield before but also just you know kind of in the sense that they may just had to start some rookies right um but again Trent mcduffie a guy who you've probably heard a bunch of you know by now just from being mentioned in the game and stuff he's a rookie right and he's playing his butt off so there are examples of and, and like i said george, george is too on the defensive line there are examples of guys who are you know playing really well um despite being a rookie and, and so i think that as much as the Chiefs' defense doesn't get, it, I think as much praise as the Eagles' defense. The reasons are, is because we've seen the Chiefs' defense be exposed a little bit more than the Eagles, and especially during this playoff run when you know the Jaguars scored a good a good amount of points, and then um, the Bengals were pretty much shut out in the first half. In the second half, they came out and scored two straight touchdowns. So uh, I think that it's been it's been a little bit muddied up there. Uh, but I do think that the Eagles. I mean, I and we know that their offense has been has been great all year. They're going to be able to score on the Chiefs, and the Chiefs are you know you know also going to be able to score on the eagles so i know that i doesn't didn't necessarily give a um you know a, a super great you know a super opinionated stance and we'll get to the you know our predictions of who's going to win and everything later but i think that that is going to be kind of the 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 surprising element of this super bowl is is that i do think it's going to be a lot higher scoring um i the over under was and we can even see this just by the by the betting lines right so the over under i think it started at like 48 it's all the way up to 51 um so clearly a lot of people are betting on the over and i mean the public is going to be betting on the over in general, just in pretty much every game because that's just kind of everybody wants to see, see points scored, right? You think it's going to be a high-scoring game because you have so many, or, or you know, both teams are such high-scoring in general. But I do think that you know, as much as the defenses have been praised, I think that they're each defense is going to be facing probably the best offense that they've faced all year, and that's what we would want it to be because it's the Super Bowl, right? Um, but I think that that is a little bit kind of getting under underrepresented in the in the media, or at least just in everybody, you know, kind of previewing the Super Bowl so far. Is the fact that the, the other side of the ball for both of these offenses. Yeah. You know, the defenses are going to be tough, but the defenses are going to have to react a lot to what the offenses are doing. And the defenses have not played offenses that are, that are as good as the opposing opposing team. So I kind of spent most, most of the time talking about the chiefs in general um, that hopefully kind of gives away a little bit of my lean towards who I think is going to win. I, I do think that Patrick Mahomes will probably be able to give, you know, bring on more problems to the to the Eagles defense than the Eagles offense will to the Chiefs just because I think it's easier to prepare for the Eagles defense a little bit more than it is easier to prepare for Pat Mahomes, and and that's been I mean ever since he's been in the league ever since he's been a starter that's kind of the memo right um but it, but again I think the key will come down to and this is kind of you know most playoff runs most, most Super Bowl runs um the defensive line's ability to get pressure on the quarterback right and whether that be you know Consist- on a consistent basis, or it's just, you know, they're getting, you know, sac- a lot of sacks, or if they're just getting a lot of pressure, or if they're, you know, batting down balls or whatever it may be, because the deep, the both defensive lines are really great. And both offensive lines are really great, too. So I think it's whoever's able to kind of win that offensive line defensive line battle, get to the opposing quarterback more and be able to neutralize their talents just a little bit. That's probably the team that's going to end up winning. So um, yeah, so I-, I think it's gonna be a high scoring game. Hayden, what do you got?
0: Yeah, well, I'm gonna take this all the way back. All right, I'm gonna take the storyline all the way back to, I think it was week five. Well, going into week five of last season of the 2021 to 2022 season. Okay, the Chiefs. I think they were one in three after week four. They they lost three of their first four games. Everybody was saying what's going on. They still had Tyreek Hill. They still had all their weapons that people try to say that the Chiefs don't have now, and that's why they're gonna lose. Okay. They lost three out of the first four games and everybody's saying, okay, what happened? And then all of a sudden Patrick Mahomes seems to find his rhythm. The whole offense seems to find their rhythm. Everybody's saying, where did this come from? Why did they lose the first three games? And now they're, you know, back in rhythm, whatever they found the rhythm and everybody diagnosed the situation as, Oh, Patrick Mahomes has learned to not try to make the big play every year or every play. He's learned to take his check downs when he, when he has them, he's learned to be an NFL quarterback who takes his medicine every once in a while and throws a check down and doesn't try to make a superhero play every play. Now Petra Mahomes is good enough to make a superhero play almost every play and still win the game and still lead his team to success. But we've seen it kind of fail in the past, right? We've seen him try to make the big play when he shouldn't have and turn the ball over or just putting in, his team in a position where they're not able to win. And that was the beginning of last season. This season, they have a they have a really good season all year. I mean, they lost to the Bengals once and then they beat them in the playoffs and I think that they they lost to the Bengals well, not I think they did lose to the Bengals uh last year in the in the AFC Championship, right? And that was a that was a product of the Bengals just kind of having their number. And again, earlier this year they got beat by the Bengals. Bengals kind of had their number again. They were finally able to pull it out, pull it out against the Bengals in the divisional or in the AFC Championship this year. So what do we have now? We have the Chiefs coming into the Super Bowl, and yes, do they have Tyreek Hill? No, they don't. Do they have a fully healthy, you know, starting lineup of wide receivers? Not really. I mean, Kadarius Tony, like Matt said, is 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 a supposedly a hundred percent. Marquez Valdez Scantling is supposedly hundred percent. Juju Smith Schuster's back, but we haven't really seen these guys, you know, produce on a, on like a consistent basis. Patrick Mahomes is really the only guy. Well, him and Travis Kelsey are really the only guys that we've seen produced on a on a very consistent basis. And what I'm, I think, what I'm trying to say f- for going into this game is: have we even have we seen the Chiefs really mess up since they had that one and three start back in 2021 to start the season? Not really. Like they they, I mean, they lost to the yes, they lost to the Bengals in the AFC Championship last year. They still made it to the AFC Championship. They made it to the AFC Championship this year. Played the same exact team, and the Bengals beat them with a Patrick Mahomes that, like Matt said, was about sixty percent at best, and they still beat them and made it to the and made it to the Super Bowl. We've seen the we've seen the the Eagles be just absolutely dominant all season. They've had a couple close wins against teams that aren't really that good. And I know that everybody hates the you know the easy schedule argument. I think it's totally valid. I think when it comes down to a, a game like the Super Bowl with as much importance and value that the Super Bowl has, I think it has, I think it plays a huge part in with the teams that the Chiefs have played and the, and the teams that the Eagles have played. It's just, I, I don't think it's even close. I don't think that people are giving enough attention to the fact that, right, the Eagles defense, yeah, they're so good, but who have they played in the playoffs? They played Daniel Jones and Brock Purdy for ha- for like a quarter of a game and Josh Johnson for three quarters of a game. Uh, that's that's all they've played in the playoffs. They haven't faced a guy like Patrick Mahal. I mean, that's, that's like going from, bottom of the league in terms of quarterback, in terms of experience, you know, playoff experience, and just in terms of, you know, quarterback competence, that's from like going, that's like going from the bottom of the league and to the top basically in one game, you know? And so I think the thing that I'm trying to point out here is the chiefs have been here before. They know exactly what to expect. I think they know exactly what to expect from the, from the Eagles. They it's not like the, the chiefs aren't preparing for this Eagles defense. And you might say, you can't prepare for the Eagles defense because they're so good. Their pass rush is so good. They have such a good secondary, you know, do the chiefs even have receivers that can get separation from guys like James Bradbury and Darius Slay? No, probably not. Not on every play, right? Not like Tyreek Hill would be able to, to create separation, but Andy Reed and Eric B some of the best offensive minds combined in on one team in the NFL right now. And you're telling me that they're not going to prepare their hardest for the Eagles and that they're not going to have some kind of solution in whether it's in the red zone, whether it's, you know, kind of in their own territory on a, on a third and seven, you're telling me that they're not drawing up plays for those kind types of situations where if you get, if you convert on those kinds of plays, it can be the difference of a touchdown or a field goal or whatever. I think that if we're looking at it from a, a coaching standpoint and a standpoint of who has more experience in this game, the chiefs win all day dude and it's it's and the chiefs win that battle all day again i'm i'm not going to get to game predictions yet because that's we're going to talk about that in a little bit but in terms of the headspace of of where the chiefs head is at as a whole team and where the eagles head is at is that a whole team it i don't think it's even close i think the eagles have way more to prepare for way more kind of variability and and what they think might happen what they think that the chiefs might throw at them I don't even I don't think that the Eagles can really even switch up their offense that much. Right. They got the read option with Jalen Hurts. They've got the running game with Miles Sanders in the backfield and that great offensive line. You know, they've they've got their good wide receivers, but I don't think that they have the type of offensive scheme, the type of offensive changes that they can make to surprise the Chiefs in any way. I think that the the Chiefs really on, on their like on the defensive side, they don't really have to prepare for much. They can probably watch film. You know, watch a couple hours of film and and see all that the Eagles are going to throw at them in this game. I think that the Eagles, on the other hand, have to prepare a lot more. They're, I think that they're shaking in their boots, trying to figure out what Patrick Mahomes and Eric and and Andy Reid are going to think of coming into this game. So that's where I'm at. I think that you know, again, take the personnel off the field because we've seen Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs win with whatever kind of personnel they have. Right? They lost Tyreek Hill. Who cares? You know they they still had they still only have what three losses this season total so and i mean the, the eagles do too i actually saw this the stat this was pretty cool but go, coming into this game the chiefs and the eagles are both 16 and 3 on the season uh they've both scored a total of 400 no both scored a total of 546 points uh and they both have like six-time pro bowlers uh or no yeah they they each have a kelsey brother who have both made it to the pro bowl six times. Like it's, it's crazy. It's, it's basically like a mirror matchup, these two teams, but in terms of right experience in terms of how these teams have to mentally prepare for this game, I think the chief, the chiefs have it easier. I think that they're calmer coming into this game. I don't know if the Eagles are that calm. I don't know if the Eagles are that confident. I I think that they're confident in their own ability, but again, you can have all the confidence in the world, but that once you get get out on that field and get punched in the mouth by Patrick Mahomes, And the Chiefs defense, who can be good sometimes, again, they're not nearly as consistently good as the Eagles defense. I will give them that. But I I think that the Chiefs are coming into this game with a lot less to worry about. And that's that's where my head is at.
1: Well, I don't know. I mean, I would say, yes, it's it's it seems on the surface like it's easier to prepare for the for the Eagles offense. But at the same time. It's one way to just think that you can stop something, but it's another thing to be able to actually do it, right? And I think that's the probably the, the the problem that the Chiefs are gonna face the most, in my mind, is the fact that it seems simple, it seems easy, right? But I mean, the that's how the offense has done so well, the Eagles offense has done so well this year kind of with this same system. And a lot of it is because you don't really know where the ball is going because Jalen Hurts has such an athletic ability to be able to obviously, you know, throw the ball deep down the field whenever he has a wide receiver open, but also to just take the ball in those zone reads, right. Or, or, you know, even just create scramble. If a pass is not there, you know, either, either throw it away or, or kind of just run and, and slide. And so I think that that really adds a, an aspect to something that the Chiefs haven't really seen, especially in, you know, I mean, really, uh, for sure, all the way throughout the playoffs this year, but even really kind of in most of the games um, in, in, let's say, you know, even in their division, right? So six of their, you know, 17 games during the regular season, it was against Russell Wilson, Derek Carr, and uh, and Justin Herbert. None of those guys are really that mobile, right? Um, and then even in the playoff games so far, they faced Trevor Lawrence and Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow, yes, had the most rushing yards in that game, but... That's not because he was a mobile quarterback by any means. It was because they were so, the Chiefs' defense was so scared of giving up the deep shots to Jamar Chase and T. Higgins that they had to play back. And and that gave Joe Burrow some running room underneath. And really, I think most, I think he had 30 rushing yards in the game, which was the most in the game. And I think 24 of them came on that one big run when they were, it was like third and 10 at their own eight yard line or whatever. And he, he ran it all the way out. So they haven't really been able to, or the Chiefs haven't really faced a mobile quarterback with a system that's designed for that specific mobile quarterback to be able to use his mobility right and so i think that it's it's almost like and, and again we've seen we've seen this across kind of really as the eagles have transitioned from when kind of at the beginning of Nick Sirianni's tenure there uh last year All he wanted to do was pass the ball and all the fans, the entire fan base, everyone in the media, they were just like, dude, you have good running backs, you have a running quarterback, you have an amazing offensive line, try to run the ball more and really ever since he's done that. The Eagles have just done so much better. Um, they made the playoffs kind of at the last second last year, and they played the Bucks and they kind of got crushed. But, you know, that's Tom Brady and the Bucks coming off a Super Bowl win. You're probably not going to be able to beat them in the first round of the playoffs. And then this year, come out of nowhere, best record in the league, number one seed, basically you know blown through both their playoff games to get here to this point. So that's kind of, I think going to be the struggle, at least for for the Chiefs defense, is being able to prepare for a system that, yes, it seems pretty simple on the outside, because really, you know, there's only a few concepts that they're running, but the, when you get into the nitty-gritty of being able to actually defend those running backs, I mean, Boston Scott, for as small as he is, like, he's been killing, the, 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 you know, so far in the playoffs, and Kenneth Gainwell has come out of nowhere, he did nothing in the regular season, he's had like 100 rushing yards, I think, in both of the last two games, in both the playoff games that they played in so far. So I think that this whole notion about, you know, well the Eagles are just going to run the ball; they're going to have to keep up with Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, sure. But at the same time, they ha- they have a system, and their system works, and it's also something that the Chiefs haven't faced yet. So as much as they can theoretically prepare and watch film on it, sure. But when you're in the game, and and then you know Patrick Mahomes or um, sorry Jalen Hurts, you know pulls the pulls the ball from the running back's gut, and he just takes off. It doesn't even have to be a forty-yard touchdown run for Jalen Hurts. It can just be five yards, six yards here and there. That over time, those build up and get you first downs, and that's all you need in the Super Bowl. Again, we're not trying to create the you know the statistical anomaly that is the most, you know the the the, the greatest game ever seen on turf. No, I mean we're just trying to win a football game here. And so I think that that's where the Eagles' advantage lies is the fact that. They do run the ball. They play physical football, especially on offense. And if you're able to tire out a Chiefs defense who hasn't seen that style of football yet, you can have some pretty good success, not only in keeping your offense on the field, and well, keeping their defense on the field and tiring them out even more, running down the clock. That way you're keeping the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hand too. I think that's going to be their strategy going into this game. And I think it could work out. It just depends on... And and Hayden kind of alluded to this a little bit too. Is you know if if you if they do get punched in the mouth by Patrick Mahomes on the first drive or we know whatever it may be, and you're playing from behind, that's when I think things will get a little bit tough for the Eagles. And we saw this throughout the season: is they basically would be winning every game by 20 points going into halftime, so they wouldn't really have to try in the third and fourth quarter because they played so well, uh, you know, in, in in the first half. And a lot of times it was because they would just get the ball score immediately. Their defense would get a stop and they'd score again. And it'd pretty much be over from there. It's not going to really, it might not go that way against the Chiefs. It might go that way against the Chiefs. And if so, then the Eagles will probably be on their way to a Super Bowl win. But it probably won't because the Chiefs are the other best team in the NFL. Now, that being said, at the end of the day, you know, what what kind of style is going to win out? What style is good? I'm not sure, but that's why I'm kind of thinking that, you know, yes, it's going to be a high scoring game, but I think that the pace at the very beginning of the game is going to dictate that Super Bowls tend to be a little bit slower, right? When you're kind of just getting used to the opponent, you're you're, you're coming out, you're running your scripted plays on offense at first, you're kind of feeling each other out. The defense is not going to be giving up a ton of long balls. They're going to kind of be sitting back. They may give you a couple yards here and there on the, on those respective plays, but by and large, you're not. You know, you're not going for deep shots and, and on the opposite end from defense, you know, you're not going to be sending zero blitzes every single play. So I think that both teams are going to kind of try to feel each other out at first. But I think that once the kind of the first touchdown goes through, whether that be the Chiefs or the Eagles that score first, the other offense is going to be very much motivated to, you know, run the ball down the field, score as fast as possible, um, or 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 not. But either way, I do think that the offenses are have been so efficient up until this point that it's really going to be tough for these defenses to stop them. Um, and so, you know, I kind of I know, keep, keep keep kind of reiterating the same point that it's going to be a lot of scoring, but I do think that's the truth. And and so th- that's why I think that the offensive schemes coming into this game are so important. And because they're so different too, right? Like I said, I mean, I keep saying the Eagles, they focus on running the ball and they're really good at it. That tires out of defense. You're going to be keeping the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hand. On the other side, Patrick Mahomes is amazing at just, you know, one play, 75 yards, touchdown, right? Boom. Whoever it may be. Or just those chunk plays to to Travis Kelsey, where he's just sitting down in the middle, Patrick Mahomes, find him, and he's and he's gone for, you know, 15, 20 yards of pop. That's the Chiefs style of ball, right? In that case, they're going to be scoring faster. The defense may not be on the field for as long, but you sure are going to be able to score, you know, at a greater percentage chance every time you have the ball, simply because you have Patrick Mahomes and his ability to you know, just improv, do things, uh, you know, on the spot and and really just be able to still find success. Uh, So, so I think that, you know, I I definitely, you know, I agree with what Hayden's saying. I think it's, it's, it's going to be tough to, or it's going to be interesting to see what offensive style kind of proves true in this matchup. But I do think that both defenses are going to struggle even trying to contain each of the respective offenses and their styles, just because they are so different. And because like I kept, you know, like I said, at at the last point, it's it's just so much better than anything that they fe- either of them have faced not only really during the regular season but also definitely so far uh, in the playoffs
0: yeah i think one of the key things to look at on the defensive side of the ball and again we've talked a lot about offense and a lot about Matt did a good job of of kind of appraising the eagles offense i i kind of did more of the you know more of the patrick mahomes and chiefs offense he did more of the eagles offense i think in terms of the defense these two teams are probably the most different on the defensive side, in in the sense that the Chiefs run four-three defensive front with four down linemen. You've got three linebackers, and a lot of times they like to kind of keep those linebackers in the coverage. Sometimes they'll they'll bring a, a little like corner blitz off the edge. Sometimes they'll they'll blitz a backer off the edge, or they'll do like a little stunt inside where they blitz a, a linebacker, and then they have one of the um, one of the defensive tackles kind of slide. It, it's hard to explain if, if you've never really. Kind of gotten into the the specifics of what a an NFL deep or like a blitz stun is, but it's essentially where you you disguise one player going one way and then he goes another way, and then a linebacker comes and fills the gap that that player which was originally supposed to fill, and then he he it ends up confusing the offensive line a lot of times, and you know their slides get mixed up, and so a lot of times it'll end in a sack. All that being said, that's what the that's what the Chiefs like to do a lot. I've seen a lot of. Steve Spagnolo's defense, kind of, you know, coming off the edge, corner blitzes. I've seen a lot of a, a lot of stunt like uh, blitz stunts in the middle type thing. The Eagles' defense is a little bit different. I think that they come out in two different formations, which is either four three like the Chiefs do, or three four like the Chief. I mean, like the Chiefs don't usually do. And the, I think that that's pretty versatile because, right, if you can come out in both in both different formations and you can still have success rushing the quarterback that's a really good thing because then you can disguise different things. You can, you can disguise more blitzes. But the thing is I don't really see the Eagles doing many complicated blitz stunts. Okay. And it's because they don't need to, because they're, their defensive line is so good and, and so fast and tough that they can rush four guys and they can still get to the quarterback just as fine. Right. As they would with a blitz or as, as the chiefs would with a blitz with like a five or six man blitz, the Eagles can get there with four guys just as fast, right? Which I think is something that the chiefs need to look out for. And then I I think that the chiefs need to get ready for, but I don't, I don't know if you can be ready for that kind of thing, because again, you can look at a team like the Eagles and say, well, yeah, okay. They're not going to do, they're not going to throw many things at us that we don't, that we, that are disguised or that we don't, that aren't uncommon to see, but it doesn't matter because their guys are still going to beat your guys at least some of the time they're going to get to the quarterback fast either way. So that's where the Eagles have a leg up in my opinion. Again, it's we're talking about their defense. Their defense is much better than the Chiefs defense, but I think even their scheme it's going to it's going to take a little bit off of them in terms of Right, trying to think of think of things that the Chiefs haven't seen coming into this game. It's going to take a little bit off of them just because they have such good pass rushers already. They don't need to send five or six or whatever. They don't need to do a, a special blitz stunt in the middle down the A gap or anything like that to fake out the Chiefs' offensive line because they can still rush four guys. There are four defensive guys on the de- defensive line, right? You got Robert Quinn, uh, Hassan Reddick. You've got Fletcher Cox. I forget who the other defensive tackle is. But- Brandon Graham. Yeah, Brendan. Yeah, exactly. I mean, those those are four of the best pass rushers and also run stoppers in in all in all football. And they're all in one defensive line. So it's like you've got all these guys that can make plays and that that, you know, get sacks and, and QB pressures. And you've got guys that can that can do that at like an equal rate. So it doesn't really matter what you what you what kind of blitz package you throw at the Chiefs the Eagles can do it all with only four guys. I know it sounded like I was, you know, I was, I was all for the chiefs, but I wanted to give this appraisal of the Eagles defense just to show that, right. In terms of preparation on that defensive line, they don't really need to do much. That defensive line is where they have, I think the most natural talent, the most like just natural, they wreak the most natural havoc, I think on that, on that defensive line. And it's, it's crazy to see the difference between that defensive line and the chiefs, because right. Like I said, the chiefs, they can get pressure, but they need to send a corner off the edge or they need to send some kind of surprise that the Eagles aren't ready for. And that's going to take a guy out of the play. If they send, you know, if they send a nickel corner off the edge on a blitz, that's going to take a guy out of coverage. If they send uh, Nick Bolton down, you know, down the B gap or whatever like that, that's going to take another guy out of coverage. You know, that may take a spy out uh, for Jalen QB spy for Jalen hurts. Like they're probably going to have to spy um, either a defensive lineman or a defensive end or, a linebacker or somebody they're, they're probably gonna have to spy Jalen hurts a lot, which is going to take another guy out of coverage for the Chiefs. So the chief's defense, I I like what Matt's saying about that's going to be a high scoring game because we already know what the, what the chief's offense can do with Patrick Mahomes. He's going to score points no matter what. And this Eagles offense, I think with how many guys you need to keep on just Jalen hurts at once and how many guys you need to keep pressuring, how many added guys you need to keep on pressuring each and every play. To, to kind of get Jalen Hurts out of his out of his element and to keep the Eagles' offensive line on their toes, I think that it's a lot more than what the than what the Eagles need to send, and that's going to be a big difference in this game as well.
1: Okay, we've done enough predictions, or well, no, <laughs> we actually haven't even done our predictions. We've done enough previewing, we've done enough an, an analysis, we've done enough deep dive. To now is time. Now is the time for our official Super Bowl predictions. Who we think is going to win? What we think the exact score is going to be, whether we think the game is is going to go over or under. Um, There's plenty of other bets that I could give out, but um, well, maybe I will. We'll see. Um, So my official projection, again, you kind of could probably tell just from the way I first started the podcast, a little hot there for the Chiefs. Uh, I do think the Chiefs are going to win this game. I think it's going to be honestly pretty easy. I think it's like I said, it's going to be a high scoring game. It's going to be close enough. Um, I'm going to say a a final score prediction of Chiefs 31, Eagles 24. So I do think the Chiefs are going to score a good bit in this game. I think the Eagles are going to be able to kind of keep up with it uh, for, you know, for at least the first half or so there. But but once Patrick Mahomes just keeps putting points on the board and the Eagles kind of find themselves a little bit behind the pace there, they're going to try to force the ball, you know deep, deep balls, throw into the coverage or, or whatever. Um, and and I just think that Jalen Hurts just won't be able to kind of catch up with Patrick Mahomes if, if the game becomes a higher scoring game. And so that's what I just think that it's going to be a higher game script or a, a, a higher scoring game script. And because of that, I think that, you know, Patrick, that does, that just goes with what the chiefs do. Their offensive tendencies, everything kind of, kind of fits with the chiefs there. The other thing too. And and again, this is nothing against the Eagles. They they can't, you know, it's not their fault that this is the case, but the Chiefs have been here, man. They've been to five straight AFC championships. This is the third Super Bowl that they've been in in five years. They've won one of them and they lost the other one. And here's, you know, here's the third one. Andy Reid, has, he went to, I think, two Super Bowls when he was with the Eagles, coaching the Eagles, ironically. He's been here so many times before. He knows exactly how the preparation and everything will go for these two weeks. Because again, these two weeks are the most stressful point in probably sports in the history of the world in general. He knows how to navigate this, Okay. Most of the players on the Chiefs either, you know, were kind of there when they made their other Super Bowl runs, or you know, some of them are still there, some of them haven't. But, you know, the cornerstones of the franchise, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey on the defensive end, Frank Clark, Chris Jones, those are the guys who have been here before and they've done it before. They've not only have won a Super Bowl before, but they've even just been to this game before. They know what the mentality is going into. and I think that just that that is a very underrated piece of what it takes to win a super bowl obviously anything can happen right we've seen brady lose three super bowls we've also seen him win seven okay and so more times than not the the team the people the the you know the coaching staff with the mo- more experience just knowing what to knowing what this week knowing what these two weeks should feel like knowing how they should prepare knowing what they're going to be going up against the media everything is so much more amplified this week than it is in any other week of sports and and they've been here before and they've done it and so i think that that, that honestly for me and that's why i haven't talked about it yet until now because i kind of wanted to give it away on my at, you know at the at the end here when we're doing our final predictions i think that's just that's the edge i think that's the chief, the edge that the chiefs have is the fact that the Eagles are a very young team. This is a different head. They won the Super Bowl five years ago, which isn't a long time ago, right? But this is a different head coach, a different quarterback, a different running back, different coordinators, completely different than any of what you know they had. Uh, obviously, you know, the offensive guy, Jason Kelsey, the more of the defensive guy, Brandon Graham and all those guys, Fletcher Cox, they they were all in the Super Bowl team uh from five years ago as well. So they had they do have some experience on their end, but I think head coach to quarterback. That just that makes so much more of a difference. And I think that the Chiefs just really have that edge. Um, so I'm going to go Chiefs 31, Eagles 30, 24 for a higher scoring game. But I think the Chiefs and, it, and I know that the Eagles are favored. So I'm kind of picking the upset here, technically, uh, even though it's like a point or a point and a half or whatever. Uh, but I do think that the Chiefs just I, I think they're going to win this game.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And that's kind of what I was trying to get to in my first part of this segment here with, you know, right. With with kind of the, the Chiefs mindset coming into this game being We've been here before. We know what to expect. The Eagles, on the other hand, last time that they were in the Super Bowl was, what, six years ago in Super Bowl 51, I believe, or 52 or one of those. So, I mean, they won, right? But they had Doug Peterson as their head coach, and they had a totally different quarterback. They had, Well, they had Carson Wentz, but then he got hurt, and then they had Nick Foles, who led them to the Super Bowl win over the Patriots. I'm not going to get into that because they won against the Patriots. But, right, the, the Chiefs have the upper hand in terms of the mindset. In terms of my prediction for this game, my score prediction, I'm going to go. I think it's going to be very similar to what Matt said. I'm going to go 34 to 30, and I think that the Chiefs are going to win. I think it's going to be a high scoring game, like Matt said. I think it's going to go way over the the over under on on total points, right? I think, like Matt said, I think it's uh what 51 is the line right now, so I think it's going to go way over way over that. Will it be 60? I mean, I'm I'm predicting that, predicting predicting that it'll be 64 total points. I don't know that's that's very high, it's a very high total. So if you want to pick your own uh total over under and you want to make the kind of juice the odds a little bit, I don't know if I would do that because it might go under but because like Matt said Super Bowls usually do start off very slow and they kind of go they kind of pro- pro- progressively get more risky and like game plans get more risky and and there's more deep throws and more risky plays that go on later in the game but Kind of the first half is is, is always a a good under bet, um to to put money on. But yeah, I think I think that the Chiefs are gonna take this one. You kind of heard it in my in my first kind of spiel in this segment. I think I'm favoring the Chiefs just because, like Matt said, they do have the experience. They do have, you know, they might not have the, the personnel, but I don't think that 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 Super Bowl like we've seen plenty of times in the past where personnel and Super Bowl experience. Kind of have a little battle in the super bowl and, and experience usually wins. Um and so I think that the Chiefs with you know with how many AFC championships that they've been to, how much experience they have, how much experience Andy Reid has, Matt Matt made a great point. It's not just with the Chiefs that he's been in these situations. He's been in these situations with other teams. And so it it, it makes sense in my head that Andy Reid and, and Patrick Mahomes don't lose this game. I can't really see how they will because then that'll be three Super Bowls that they've been to in the past, what, like five-ish years, uh, five or six years, and that they've lost two of them, that that doesn't really make much sense in my head. Um, I saw this interesting segment just to kind of end off this this um, Super Bowl talk. I saw this interesting segment on the talk show that I was watching before we record this, and th- it was basically saying, everybody's saying, okay, well, if, if the Eagles lose this game, then Jalen Hurts will have – for sure. Another chance. He'll have another chance at a super bowl. Like he will have his chances in the future. So it's not like there's no pressure on him to win, but he'll he'll have more chances in the future to win the super bowl. And I saw them kind of refute this claim in that we've seen so many times we've seen, right. Carson Wentz with the Eagles uh back in, what was it? 2016 or 20, 2017 or whatever, when they won that super bowl, he wasn't, he didn't even play. Nick Foles won the super bowl for him. And everybody was saying, okay, well, Carson Wentz is going to have plenty of chances ahead of him, right? No, he didn't. He actually, his his career basically took a nosedive, maybe because of his his injury, whatever. Career took a nosedri- nosedive. He went to the Colts, sucked there, and now he's at the Commanders, and he sucks even more there. And it's just like, dude, these types of things, like this Super Bowl is never guaranteed. And so I think for the Eagles, that's probably what their mindset is riding on the most is like. We we have to know that we might not be here again. The Chiefs for the Chiefs it's a little bit different. They've been there many times over the past few years. They've been to the AFC Championship for every single year since Patrick Mahomes has been a starter. So they know that they're going to get there, right? I think for the Eagles it's a little bit different. This may be kind of like a not a one and done, but it may be a one and done for the next few years, next five years maybe. You know, you, you never know what's going to happen in, to a team in the off season. So we'll we'll kind of see how that plays out, how that narrative plays out. After the Super Bowl ends and it'll be different based on who wins. But I think that that's kind of something to to, to look at for the Eagles is, you know, don't be too quick to say, oh, Jalen Hurts is going to have another chance next year or the the year after. It's like he may not have another chance. So he's probably going out into this game and thinking this could be my only shot at a Super Bowl. So that's going to end off the Super Bowl talk for us. I hope that you guys enjoyed our little preview. Again, there was a lot of information. Uh, We kind of got tripped up a couple of times trying to talk about it. But um, but yeah, it was it was a good time. And that means that it's time to talk about a little bit of college basketball for these last 20 minutes or so for the podcast. So I will let Matt take us into the college basketball segment since I've been talking for a little bit um, for a little bit here. And I took us into the NFL segment. So go ahead, Matt. So it
1: seems like we have this conversation every year about college basketball. You see it in the title. Are there any good teams? Is anyone actually good? Uh, And it's great to see upsets, you know, number, you know, unranked team beating number one or whatever it may be. But sometimes you need a couple teams that seem unstoppable going into March Madness. So it generates some interest as to whether or not the best teams can go all the way. And we see this a lot, right? So back when, I think, I guess it was 20, the 2015 year um, was when Kentucky was undefeated pretty much the entire season. That was the Anthony Davis year. They were absolutely stacked. They went, I think 31 and 0 in the regular season. They won their conference championship. They hadn't lost a game. Okay. And it was quite, quite literally, is Kentucky going to win or is the field going to win? I don't, I wasn't betting back then. Cause I was like still in high school, but <laughs> I know that there was some sort, cause I've even seen afterwards, there was some sort of bet that was basically, it was like even odds. It was like, is Kentucky going to win? Or is are one of the 67 other teams going to win? And it's like, really? Like, that's what we're coming down to. So that's a perfect example of a team where, and guess what ended up happening? The Kentucky got to the final four. They breezed through their competition. They play a Wisconsin team that like was good. Frank Kaminsky, right? All those guys. But Kentucky was favored by a million in that game. And Wisconsin comes out. I don't even think Kentucky led in that game. Wisconsin won, completely dominated Kentucky. They get to the championship game uh, and then Wisconsin loses to Duke. (laughs) So unfortunate there. But I think that at least kind of solidifies my point here is the fact that sometimes you need those teams where it's like, are they going to lose? And it's funny because ironically, in the last four or five years here, that team has been Gonzaga, okay? But the difference is with Gonzaga... We go into every season knowing that they're going to finish the season thirty-two and zero, or thirty and one, or you know whatever it may be. They're going to win their conference the regular season. They're going to blow through their conference tournament. They're going to win every game by thirty something points. Then they're going to get to March Madness and where they're the overall the number one overall seed because they've been the number one team all year because they've only lost one game and it's been to Pepperdine on a Tuesday night that they didn't even have too many hamburgers or whatever it happens. All right. But it, the point is that there's always this team that kind of comes in and it's been Gonzaga for the past many years, but the problem is Gonzaga, because they play nobody in the regular season, their competition is quite literally Loyola Marymount. All right. That's a lot different than when you're in the tournament and you're playing, you know, UCF as an eight seed, who's coming off a, you know, streak in their AAC tournament. And they got a taco falls seven foot six. All right. It's a little bit different. So that's what Gonzaga has been through in the past few years. And we always say this, we always say they're going to win all their games the regular season what are they going to do when it comes to March Madness and usually they lose before they even get to the final four now two years ago they got to the championship game they played Baylor they lost by 30 okay so it's like even when they have had these chances and they actually got to the championship game in 2017 as well and they lost to North Carolina and they lost by a good amount um, it was a little bit closer but um, you know not as close the, or it was closer than the Baylor game but still they lost so they've been to the championship game twice in the last you know six years which is I think good enough to say okay well they've done something with it right but they haven't gotten to kind of that you know that championship level team. And and because it seems like they either choke very early on in the tournament, or they never actually come through and winning a championship that it's kind of like at the end of the day, um you, you know, what is going to be, what's going to be the result of this. Right. And so I think that what ended up happening is a lot of people just kind of lost faith and you say, well, they're never able to convert. So they're probably not going to this year. And I think that now they're as we see, they're not kind of that number one overall seed that wins all their games in the regular season and you know wins their conference tournament and everything like that. Gonzaga actually is second in their conference behind St. Mary's, who's having a great season, right? Um, so I think that now we don't have that kind of Gonzaga, are they fraudulent, are they not discussion because we can see that they're really just not even that great, even within their own conference. Now what we have are two teams in Purdue and Houston, who have basically just been going back and forth all season on who is better, who has more wins, whatever, uh, you know, whatever that may be. And also, teams who are in conferences, the Big Ten and the AAC, respectively, who don't have that many other great teams. Obviously, the Big Ten is the Big Ten. They are arguably the second-best conference in the country. I would say third. I think it's Big 12, then SEC, then Big Ten. Arguments can be made. I listen to it, whatever it may be. Okay, but Purdue is, is the best team in the Big Ten. they are I mean, they're ranked number one right now. They lost a game at Indiana this past weekend on Saturday. They were losing by 17 points at halftime. They ended up losing the game, I think, only by six or seven points. They made a game in the second half, but they didn't lead for a second in that game. Indiana completely blew them out from start to finish. Indiana moves up in the ranks a couple, well, uh, moves up a couple ranks. Purdue stayed at number one. They lost as the number one ranked team in the country, and they stayed at number one because basically everyone else under them lost as well. Tennessee was number two. They lost earlier in the week to unranked Florida. Uh, Houston was number three. They lost to, who do they?
0: They lose? No. Well, Houston beat Temple.
1: Okay. Never mind about the thing about Houston. I thought they lost, but they didn't. Um, But either way, you know, all these teams. Basically, it just kind of seems like everyone who is highly ranked will lose to an unranked team on the road. And while normally, yes, this would be a great story for college basketball, and and probably what I would prefer, and I love to see this stuff just because I see I love seeing the underdogs win. But I also am able to because I'm kind of you know getting into it. I'm 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 pretty you know pretty pretty dove in deep pretty uh, this, thus far that. I'm thinking it's great because I'm enjoying all the entertainment. This is awesome. But what it leaves, though, is it leaves the casual fan, the people who, and which is probably most of you listening right now, people who are are going to be going into March Madness with kind of a, um, you know, not, not so much deep knowledge on who's going to be the best teams, who's going to be, you know, the, the champion that I'm going to pick for March Madness. Um, Because you haven't really heard about anything all year long. You haven't heard about the Gonzaga that's 31 and one, and they're going to go in their conference championship. They're going to win it. They're going to be the number one overall seed. Are they going to be able to win the championship? You haven't heard about a Kentucky who hasn't lost a single game in the regular season, and they're going to go to the final four. They're going to be able to actually win the championship. You haven't heard of any of that because it hasn't made enough storylines because really everyone just kind of keeps losing, right? So the two best teams, obviously, like I said, are Purdue and Houston, 22 and two record for both of them but they've both struggled at times when they shouldn't have struggled. Houston lost to Temple at home, uh and then well Purdue, I mean they lost to Indiana like I said in a game they didn't even lead and then they lost to Rutgers on a last second buzzer beater three, but it was at home. So both the number 1 and number 2 teams in the in the in the country right now have had losses at home to inferior opponents who weren't even ranked. That goes to show that they're really, you I know, mean, there's a lot of competition in college basketball right now, but there's no really no dominant teams that I think create the storylines that we like to see, especially going into March Madness. Now, again, like I said, for me, for someone who's really into this thing and who, you know, March Madness is my favorite time of the year, it's going to be absolute chaos. And the coolest thing about it is because I love the thing I love most about college basketball, especially with March Madness, And seeing those lower seeded teams go so far in the tournament, we saw it obviously last year with St. Peter's, I mean, a 15 seed making the elite eight, like that's probably never going to happen again, or if it does, it'll be, you know, 40 years before it does, but obviously Kansas won the championship and they're the number one seed, but UNC as an eight seed goes all the way to the championship game. Like that's so cool um, to see, and I think that that is is ironically. I uh, talked about 2015 when Kentucky won it or well Kentucky was undefeated and almost won it all, and then they lost to uh, lost to Wisconsin in the final four. The year before that, Hayden, you'll remember this because I remember we. We, we love, we love doing these deep dives on the, on March Madness history. The year before that 2014, do you remember who was in the championship game that year? You probably don't. So I'm just going to tell you it was number eight seed UConn versus no, sorry. Number eight, number seven seed Yukon versus number, number eight seed Kentucky in the championship game. Remember yeah. that Chabaz Napier and those guys yeah. from UConn winning the championship. Beast. So that's something that I could very much see happening this year. And I think that's awesome. Who cares where the number one seeds are, you know, let them fall, let them go down. Um, but I guess my gauge on this is, yes, it's super entertaining for me, but is is that going to create the 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 buzz and the engagement and everything that will kind of carry over into March Madness? I mean, FSC March Madness is, is going to be exciting. Everyone, fail in the a bracket, it's going to be great. It's going to be really exciting, but with kind of nobody really knowing who the best teams are, and also the best teams are Purdue and Houston, who have no history within college basketball. Purdue has a lot of history within. Well, actually, Purdue and Houston have both won championships in the past and actually had really great programs, but the Dukes, the North Carolinas, the UCLA's, the Gonzaga's, the Kentuckys of the world who have been so good for so long, not really making headlines a lot. And I think that's kind of the other thing that's coming down here is that we do have two programs who are clearly the best in the country, who, as they've shown us can lose to an unranked team on any given night, they also don't really have that much star power or 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 pull within the sport of college basketball at large for the people who are kind of those casual fans going into picking their March Madness bracket. They're going to see Purdue. They're going to be like, what? That's weird. I don't even haven't even heard of them. Right. So and I and I guess kind of that's why I'll phrase the question to Hayden here, because, um, like I said, I've gotten in, super into it over the past, you know, three or four weeks here. But it sounds like Hayden's kind of still kind of get, getting his bearings here within the college basketball universe, at least for this year. So that's why I'll pose him the question. Does it really matter if anybody's actually good or used you I mean, I know you're still going to be into it, but do you think that that will impact kind of the general fans view of March Madness as a whole, or will it, is it just kind of dwindling the excitement of a thing that's usually really amazing?
0: I think at first people are going to look at their bracket, like you said, and and see teams like Purdue and Houston, Houston has been pretty good for the past couple of years, but not for, for long enough to where, you know, the average general fan who just makes a bracket every year and, doesn't look at it again until the championship game. Like people who do that, it's it's definitely going to be a shock to them. And it may kind of lose lose interest for them for a little bit. But I think that these teams, like like you said, Matt, these teams that get to the, the championship game as an eight seed. And yeah, it was North Carolina who's a blue blood. And did we expect it to happen? No. But at the end of the day, you see North Carolina in the, in the championship. And no matter what seed they are, you're like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. That that happens. Right. But then we have situations like that one year that you described where uh where yukon got in as as a seven seed right to the to the championship and UConn, they were good back with like Kemba Walker and all those guys, but then they kind of fell off a little bit and then Shabazz Napier was kind of deemed as like the second coming of of Kevin of Kemba Walker, everything, everything like that. Like you have teams like that that get to the championship that make huge runs. And the teams that get to the championship usually have that kind of dynamic to them where they've been good before and they just somehow are a middle seed, like a middle tier seed, and they just make this huge run just because they are who they are or because they may, you know, their coach may have experience or whatever like that. But then you got teams like St. Peter's who like Matt said, nobody knew who St. Peter's was before last year. Now you look at college basketball. If St. Peter's is, is in the tournament again, everybody's going to be like, dude, I'm going to pick St. Peter's to go to the final four this year, just to be funny. But it's like, they, they now have recognition like that, which is great for a program like St. Peter's who just like, there were so many storylines that came out last year where the dorms, like there was, Actually, I think it's like no building at St. Peter's has air conditioning. Like it's, it's, There's just no buildings that have air conditioning or heat or whatever. It's just like, I mean, it's like, it's like a old like civilization, you know, from, from the BC area, but right. But then they got to the elite eight in, in the, in last year's March madness. And it's like, well, now they're on the map and they get a lot more funding for these schools and everything like that. So from a from a college basketball from, from like a program standpoint, I think it's great. All this variability in college basketball and especially in March madness, because right. You get these teams that, that take down a number one seed or that take down, you know, a number two seed in the first round. Right. We see, we see a number two seed go down in the first round. Almost every year. Now we saw, uh, what was it? Oral Roberts did it to Ohio state two years ago. And then of course, last year we saw it with, uh, with St. Peter's over, over Kentucky, nobody thought that that was going to happen. Right. And now Kentucky, like Matt said, it, they're, they're like basically on the bubble of getting into the tournament. I think that they, right now, I think they, um if like, if the season were to end right now, they would be playing as an 11 seed in one of the play-in games. I think I've read somewhere. So it's like, that's crazy to think about because it's, it's, it's Kentucky, right? It's, it, like John Calipari still coaches there. He probably still will after this season. And they have, you know, Oscar Shibway, who's one of the best players in the country, most dominant players in the country, and they're going to be an 11 seed. Like what? That makes no sense. But then you've got, right. You've got teams like St. Mary's who's probably going to be, if they continue their success throughout the season, they're probably going to be like a three or four seed. So it's like, it's, it's awesome to see this kind of stuff happen again. Like Matt said, it's like the seeds in Martin, as you start making brackets and as you start, watching March Madness more and more throughout the years for those fans that don't watch it that much or that even if you think you know a lot about it you realize in March Madness you don't and that's because the seeds they don't really matter because at the end of the day like Matt said anybody can beat anybody it's it's basically just a crapshoot especially in March when it's single elimination you've got teams you know you've you've got a team like Purdue that can lose to a team like India if if you put Purdue up against Indiana in the tournament I would 100% pick Purdue, but then right. They just got knocked off by Indiana this past weekend and it was only by five points. And like Matt said, Indiana was, was leading the whole game, but still it's like, it's, it's those kinds of things that happen that I think that make it, it does make March madness more interesting for the people that follow it a lot. And then I think that it kind of, increases the 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 notoriety and the recognition that the programs get from the general public because they are so surprised when things like this happen. I never thought that St. Peters was going to make it to the Elite 8 last year and I never even knew who St. Peters was before before last year, so I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm a total expert on March Madness and I, you know, I can predict every game or predict what teams are going to make a huge run every year. I can't and nobody can, but it's like it, we've we've seen this happen before, Matt and I have, and and big college basketball fans have seen this happen before. And so I think for the general public, it I think this is this is one of the draws to college basketball is right, now that we don't really have the blue bloods that are dominating every single year, year in and year out, now that we don't really have that kind of dynamic in college basketball, I think that a lot of a lot of fans of teams, you know, where where they've graduated from or like alma maters, right? Like they there's a lot more people out there that that have teams that are good now in college basketball that not, that didn't really have that before. Um, and so I think, yeah, I think that's a great part of it, but um, I don't know. I think that one thing that I wanted to point out really quickly is, and this is, this comes out of the the Houston and temple game that I was watching this past weekend, I think on Saturday. And uh, I was, I was watching the end of the game because I didn't really have much else to watch and Houston beat temple and they were kind of beating up on him pretty good. But the announced at the end of the game, I swear within five minutes, there was one announcer that said that Houston is the best team in the country by far. He probably said it three times in the span of five minutes. And I was and I was sitting there. I was like, my mind was blown. Houston's a very good team. They have very athletic guys. But I don't see how you can call them the best team in the country when they've played almost nobody compared to right. Teams like the teams that are in the Big 12 play each other all the time. And they lose a lot, but it's, they're still playing really good competition. Who has Houston played the the best teams that they've played are like UCF. They've okay. They beat Virginia. They beat UVA um, back in, back in December. That's probably their best win on the season. And that was a non-conference game. It was a pretty good win, but UVA is basically the opposite of what they are, which is UVA is not athletic at all. Um, And so they were able to kind of easily handle UVA, but they don't, they're not in a good conference. And so, I don't know. It just kind of that that was something I wanted to bring up in this topic was like I heard this commentator saying that Houston is by far the best team in the country. I think he was just saying that just because Purdue had just lost and he was all hyped up on Houston and he was at the game and he was watching them win by 15 over Temple. But it's like, yeah, Houston lost to Temple when they were at home earlier in the year. So should they beat Temple at Temple? Probably because temple was able to beat them in Houston earlier in the year. So it's like, I don't know. I, I think half the time these commentators don't really know what they're talking about. It's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a um, I I don't know. It's, it's, it's a little bit like annoying to hear that on a, on a broadcast when right. Like you look at Houston's schedule and we always talk about strength of schedule, but it's true. It's like Houston hasn't played anybody. Teams in the big 12 that are down there and, you know, at number seventeen, I think I think TCU is at number seventeen, and it's like, dude, they've played, they ha- they've had a schedule that's five times harder than than, uh, than Houston has has played all season. And yeah, TCU might be seventeen and six or whatever they are, but it's like, I think that they're still m- a much better team, not maybe not much better team, but I think that they would definitely have a chance, a very good chance of beating Houston if they went up against Houston on any given day. So, yeah, I don't know. I I think that Houston's probably. a a little bit of a loner up there in the high in the high rankings they're kind of like a gonzaga to me they've had more success in the past in in recent tournaments um than gonzaga has but i think that they might become kind of a gonzaga team that we that we see brewing in the regular season right now
1: all right hayden get a little fired up about houston there i i do think they are good though i think i mean i i I don't know about best in the country but I mean, I think them and Purdue are kind of the two best. Um, and, and you're right, we'll see. I mean, they're playing in the AAC, which isn't Gonzaga and the WCC, so you know they're playing. You know, at least like UCF and and Tulsa and Cincinnati and you know other other teams that are pretty good. But we'll see when come tournament time. That's a rough. It's a physical team. They love to rebound, and that usually helps out in March Madness. So uh, we will see. That is going to wrap up the podcast. However, if you stay to this point, I'm going to reward you with some Matt's betting locks of the week. Obviously, we're going with the over 51. You can find it on the board right now. That'll probably go up by the by the time this ball is kicked. So it's a Tuesday night right now. I would grab that when you can because everybody else can be get betting the over as well. Um, usually, I, I like to go contrarian, but I'm going to stick with the public here. But let's get this number early so that we can cash on it. Three player props. Now, the thing is with the Super Bowl, obviously, you know you have one game to bet on for the entire weekend. Um, So you can bet the team that wins and you can bet the total of the game, but the number you're not going to be finding any value in the numbers. Right. So that's where I think that we get into the prop bets, which help out a lot. So player props, um, you're going to see a lot of exotic stuff with, you know, how long is the national anthem going to be like betting the number of seconds that the over under the number of seconds that the the national anthem will be the coin toss. Please do not money, waste your money on betting the coin toss. Like I, I mean, if you do bet your friend that it's even money, okay? And you're not laying like minus 110 juice and minus 115 on a coin toss. That's ridiculous. Um, so bet your people in your family or your friends on the coin toss. That'll make it fun at least. Uh, that way you're not you're not losing that extra 10 cents per the dollar on your transactions there. Uh, other stuff I'm trying to think there's, you know, there's always kind of, you know, will there be uh, you know, will there be overtime? Will there be, uh, you know, a, a field goal that hits the uprights or whatever? Usually, those are sucker bets, and they're they know that people are going to bet the yes at the huge plus money rate just because they want to see it happen. And they're going to want to make a big payday, but usually those are priced that way such that you lose the bets. Okay, so don't be afraid to little lay a little juice when it comes to those. Some of those ones that are a little bit, well, a little bit more unlikely to happen. It's okay if you leave the juice because it's probably not going to happen. You might be end up, uh, you'll you'll probably end up on the rights on the, on the, Correct side of that uh, of that bet. So anyway, so three pops I'm gonna give away here. Um the first is Jalen Hurts under two, 241 and a half passing yards. I don't think that they're gonna be the game script is not gonna necessitate them to pass the ball a lot. I think that yes, maybe if the Chiefs get up by a lot that the Eagles, or Eagles are gonna to have to throw um to, to kind of you know make up for that, but at the same time, 241 is still a lot. I don't think that. I mean, you know, just even if the game is lower scoring, I mean, especially if the game's lower scoring, I don't think that, that Jalen Hurst is going to get up to this much. I think they're going to be very run focused. They're going to try to keep the ball for a while get the uh, Chiefs defense heavy, and most important of all, keep the ball about of Patrick Mahomes' Patrick hands, So, um, and they're going to do that by running the ball. So I'm not going to attack Jalen Hurts' rushing yards because I don't really know. I mean, he'll probably do a little bit better than we think, but I think with the passing yards specifically, I think it'll be a little bit lower than we're expecting. Next one is Travis Kelsey over five, and or I think it's six and a half receptions. That's a lot. But it's also the Super Bowl and it's Patrick or it's, it's Patrick Mahomes and it's Travis Kelsey, who have I mean, he's had, I think he's averaged 10, 12 receiving receptions per game. He's had over hundred yards a game throughout the playoffs so far. He's he's kinda and we mean Hayden went back and forth, you know, are are these guys injured? Are these receivers gonna be healthy? We don't even know if they're gonna be playing. He's the one constant, he's the one stable that we know is going to be there no matter what. He's gonna be catching up a lot of a lot of passes. So even those like those short the underhand shovel passes that Patrick Mahomes always does, you know, near the goal line, those count as receptions for, for, for Travis Kelsey. So I think that, you know, it doesn't have to be some crazy 40 yard player over the middle. It can just be some, some short, small, you know, the one yard touchdowns, those always count as receptions. So um, again, that's why I don't really want to attack the yards as much. Cause I don't know what the game search is going to be specifically for, for Travis Kelsey, but I do think they're he's going to be part of it. And he's going to be catching a lot of passes. So that's why I'm going to go over the six and a half receptions for Travis Kelsey. And the last one is a little bit, I don't know. I I looked into this. This is a little bit more stat driven, I think, but I'm going to go Miles Sanders over 13 and a half carries. So basically rushing attempts for 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 miles sanders i think that kenny gainwell and boston scott have gotten a lot of attention over the past couple games realistically because the eagles knew in both of those games that they were going to be able able to blow out their opponents so they've kind of let miles sanders rest a little bit they're going to get their other running backs involved catching passes out of the backfield whatever it may be Uh, but miles sanders i think is going to show up here in the super bowl they're going to have a pretty good game script for him um he was you know I, i think 1100 1200 yards this season had a lot of touchdowns um And again, goal line, that type of stuff, like they don't have a goal line back. It's, I mean, it's either Jalen Hurts himself or Miles Sanders, right? Miles Sanders has gotten a lot of those goal line touches. So you know, if they have a first and goal at the two yard line, they run Miles Sanders twice. That's two carries right out of the bat for you, right? And obviously, like I said, this entire podcast, we've said the Eagles game shift is going to be rushing. They're going to run the ball a lot. So uh, I think Miles Sanders kind of comes back into the frame a little bit here. He's going to get uh, a lot of carries. May not get a lot of rushing yards, but I think he's going to get a lot of touches at least. So give me Miles Sanders over 13 and a half carries. So those are my four bets for the Super Bowl weekend. We will be back next week, obviously, to recap how well I did and how much money I made you guys who stayed here to the very end of the first down run down pod. Guess.
0: There you go. Well, you you always get rewarded at the end of this podcast, whether it's Matt giving his betting locks or me f- talking for two going long. off, going off about Houston the, or, or that. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't know. I, I wanted to talk about I didn't know we were going to go like super overview today, but I was preparing to talk about Houston. So I wanted to get in a little bit. But uh, but yeah, there you go. A uh, little little betting lock and little Houston slander from me. I still think that Houston's a good team, but I think they're a little bit fraudulent uh which is something that you should be looking for going into March and yes we are still almost a month and a half out but it's all right uh there's, there's some there's some early early takes for you going into March so that will be it for the podcast today hope you guys enjoyed it uh thank you guys for listening as always we will be back on probably maybe sometime this weekend actually no it'll probably be early next week um, we're probably going to try to get this this uh super bowl over review out either monday or maybe tuesday next week but we're going to try to get it out asap for you guys so that you know you guys you guys have this super bowl review out and then that'll be our last time talking about football for well talking about like actual football games and results um we'll be talking about a little bit of free agency probably here and there once we get more into the off season once free agency starts to heat up and mid-march uh which is right around when college basketball is it's great this is still a great time of the year for sports so yeah stay you guys stay tuned for that um stay with us for over the next couple months and see how you like it if you're new and if you're an og then thank you guys for for continuing to listen that being said we are going to sign off for today so we will see you next week